Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. On this episode, we are so excited to welcome author Melissa De La Cruz. She is the number one New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, and Publishers Weekly internationally bestselling author of many critically acclaimed novels, including Disney's Descendants novels, the Blue Blood series, and the Alex and Eliza trilogy. Witches of East End became an hour-long television drama on the Lifetime Network. Her books have sold more than 8 million copies worldwide. She lives in Los Angeles with her family and, for many years, owned Lear House in Palm Springs, where she threw many fun events, but never a birthday party. This is an amazing interview, guys, and you'll never believe it. But her path to publication is actually really complicated, and you'd never know, given how amazingly successful she is right now. I can't wait for you to listen in. I am literally so excited about today's podcast and our very special guest, Melissa De La Cruz. Yes. Welcome, Melissa. We're so excited to talk all things writing with you. Oh, it's so great to be here. Yay. Yay. So I want all of you to know that we have a special sneak audiobook blurb in our show notes. You might want to listen now or directly after the podcast. Trust me, once you hear the f- this first chunk, you are going to want to run and grab um, Melissa's new book, The Birthday Girl. So, Melissa, you've written 50 books. Tell me what that feels like. It feels a little bit weird because you don't really count them. And I used to write, I kind of explain apologetically that I used to write for kids, or I still write for kids, but I used to write series books for kids. So some of the books would come out every three months or something. So I had like one series, I wrote four books over the course of a year or, you know, another series where the books come out, you know, almost every eight months or stuff like that. So, and I kind of explain it by saying a lot of these books feel like little episodes. So, you know, it's not like I'm writing these huge novels. So it almost like this is my fifth adult novel, I think. So there's a way to count it that way too. But since they're all books, we do kind of say, oh, 50 books. Regardless, so. it is. Yeah, I mean, regardless, <laughs> I look at that and I feel like you are, you're like the kid that scores a thousand points, you know, in four years Aww. of basketball. I mean, it's so incredibly <laughs> impressive. And I think a little later, we're going to talk about like a little bit how you jump through these genres. But first I want to hear about your writing practice. I mean, are, do you write in the morning, in the evening? Do you do word count, sprints? Like, tell us everything about how you accomplish this. Yeah, I mean, there's really no typical day. And I've been a full-time writer now for about 20 years. So I think, you know, what I do, I just realized that kind of what, how I get things done is I write really, really fast in a short amount of time. So I can write a first draft of a book in as little as two weeks. Wow. Um, Yeah, which is really hard. And I don't recommend it, but I can do it. And because I'm kind of this procrastinator, 
I can do something like, and I'm so sad because my editors kind of know this now. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, right. You need that much time. No, you don't, you know? Uh-huh. And so they try <laughs> to uh, create these kind of emergency because I kind of only write under incredible duress. Like it is, <laughs> <laughs> it is due and, you know, it'll be canceled. I mean, there's so many times when my editor has threatened, you know, the book is canceled. It's because, you know, it's so late. And, you know, we kind of <laughs> know that, you know, she's just barking. <laughs> Uh, so I try, I try to make it a little easier. We, we but she understands me too because she also kind of is a crash. So what I do is I don't do any work for a long time, and then I crash and do the manuscript. And I feel more comfortable if I have six weeks to write the first draft. Like then I feel like oh that's that's not as bad. You know I can actually write about two to three thousand words a day and still do the book and not kind of feel like. Oh my god, I'm I'm doing this sprint slash marathon and it's all I do and it's crazy and now my health has failed. So if I have a little bit more time getting in those words, and then three thousand words is pretty easy to do a day. Two thousand is a little easier. So I feel like if I'm have more time, I just do two thousand. If I have less time, I can write about maybe five to seven thousand in a day. And then when I was younger and kind of wrote these series books really quickly, I could write even 20,000 words. But sometimes when I write 20,000 words a day, I'm not good for the other days. So I kind of like do all my work that one day. I'm <laughs> sorry, did, did, you, did you just say 20,000 words? Yeah, and it's kind of bad that I... Oh my yeah. gosh. Like I'm I'm shaking. Like, I'm feeling I'm sweating here. I'm sick to my stomach. Really good. And I think I learned that like, that I could do that because I wrote my entire thesis paper in one night in college. Oh you know, and it was oh. about twenty five thousand words. And I was like, Oh, I can do this. It's like I shouldn't do it, but I can. So I always have that in my back mind, but I really can't do it anymore. Like I have gotten a little older and slower, and now I think ten thousand is my limit. Wow, still. And I haven't done. Oh my god! In a long time, so that which is good. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm laughing so much at you. I could just imagine <laughs> if, if I was a writer with you, and I was in California, and we'd see each other at the farmers market, and you'd be like casually <laughs> squeezing peaches, and I'd be like, "What up?" And you'd be like, "Book due tomorrow," and I'd be like, "Oh, oh yeah." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you just move on to squeeze, you know, whatever the bomb. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get stuck though? I mean, it sounds like you pretty much know where you're going when you sit down at your keyboard. Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? How do you do it? Oh, I am a plotter. So I outline and I basically write like a one page synopsis and then I write like an eight to maybe 30 page outline, depending on how elaborate the book is. And it's pretty detailed depending on how much I know of the story and how much I feel comfortable writing. So if I feel like I need to know more, I'll put more into outline. If I feel like I'll sort of discover it on my own or, you know, I kind of already have it in my head. Like The Birthday Girl, I wrote an outline, but it was more kind of structural because I had to keep the... So part of the book happens in the past and part of it happens in the present. And I wanted the stuff in the past and the present to kind of inform in each other. So that you kind of notice these Easter eggs, like there's one, you know, she grows up very poor and she has a trailer park kind of a background. And then she goes to this party with this, you know, rich girl and sees this beautiful bedroom that's all peach. 
and pink. And then in the present, you realize her daughter has a peach and pink bedroom. And my uh, copy editor, you know, kind of marked it and said, oh, is this deliberate? Like, did she did she give that bedroom to her daughter? I was like, yes, that's that's the point that, you know, there was something in the past and you can see it in the present, how it kind of worked out. So I had like kind of a structure for that. Like I didn't want it to be something in the past that didn't have any relation to the chapter that was in the present. So, uh, so that had to keep me kind of grounded in the story. So I like, and it, and I had work with a timeline because each uh, chapter is like an hour or a half hour and it had to be, you know, five thirty in the present and five thirty in the past. So that was a little bit tricky. So I de- definitely needed an outline for that. So, but I'm trying to answer the question of what did I do when I get blocked? I, that's why I write so many books is when I get blocked on one book, I work on the other one. So my <laughs> response to writer's block is to write another project. Huh, that's a great response. Yeah. Is that what you'd advise authors do to have like more than one project? So if you get stuck on one? I don't know. I mean, I definitely like to be busy. So, and I don't like to kind of mull over a problem. So I just kind of escape from it by working on another project. And then at some point it does get a little bit, you know, you do have to focus on the work that is on deadline. So I kind of work on a lot of projects in the outline stage and the first draft stage. I can kind of bounce around between outline, proposal, first draft, copy editing. So I can do like the early part and the end part at the same time, but I can't do the middle part where the book actually gets done unless it's just, I focus on that one book. So I write like these quick first drafts and then I have, you know, maybe two to eight months to edit them and to rewrite them and a lot of the writing kind of also happens at the end and some books are just easier birthday girl was so easy because I'd been thinking about the book for about 10 years almost and so I kind of really knew what I wanted to say and what what I wanted the story to be but there are some books that I had to almost completely rewrite until the end and they're really difficult so I'm glad that this one was a was an easy book So can you tell us a little about switching genres and voices? How do you prepare and what are the transitions like for you? I think I like to work on a fantasy book and then a contemporary book. Like I can't do a fantasy and then another fantasy. And fantasy books are harder because you have to build the entire world, the legend, the history, the magic kind of system. So after I do that, you know, I'm kind of exhausted. And I don't really want to build another world and make up new legends and new history. So I kind of like to be in the contemporary world where, you know, they can go to the mall and it's more about, you know, the, how the characters relate to each other. And then I, I just, I feel really lucky that I can jump between genres and that I'm allowed to do that. And I think it's because I do write for um, teens and kids where, you know, kind of the practice in the industry is that, yeah, you can write a thriller and then write a contemporary romance and write a fantasy and write a vampire novel. I don't think that happens as much in adult publishing. In adult publishing, you're kind of categorized. You know, if you're an urban fantasy writer, that's kind of all you write. Yeah. Unless you're like super high literary. I so There are all these rules <laughs> about who can do what <laughs> in adult publishing that don't really exist in children's Well, I, I think you're my hero. When when I looked at your website, I just laughed. I was like, Aww. oh <laughs> my gosh, because, because it is, it's true. You do hear that, that, that you can't jump like you jump. And 
No. And when I, I, cause I saw your Christmas movies, the Hallmark. Oh, yay. <laughs> it's my, you know, they're so fun and they're so great for the holidays. Yay. And, but I was like, wow, to go from like a Hallmark, which is really structured mm-hmm. to the birthday girl, mm-hmm. which it almost felt like the, bir- I felt like the birthday girl was something that was surging in you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were just like, I, because it was so different. And then you're like, boom. And and the, it had the energy. It had the energy of California to it in a way that just made me, I just laughed and laughed and laughed, like I said. And so can, let's, let's just dive into the birthday girl. Do you have the book there? Or can maybe you can do this off the top of your head. Can you tell us about the decisions you make on a first page and specifically on the first page of Birthday Girl? Oh, okay. I'm going to grab the book because it's downstairs. I gave the one that's in my office to a friend, so I'm going to go grab it. Okay. My mom loves those Hallmark movies. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, you know, Rachel loves them too. And there's something, there's something really comforting about their structure. Yeah. They're like the ultimate cozy because you can, you you know, what's going to happen. Of course. Yeah. I mean, imagine if it didn't happen, right? right. Hello, we're just talking. We're, we, we just want to deep dive into the Hallmark. Yeah, my mom loves them. <laughs> oh. oh, yay. It's it's amazing because uh-huh. I have like, you know, these really fancy yeah. author friends and they're like, oh, yeah, we watch Hallmark. It's like, it's all we do in the holidays. We sit there and we watch movie after another. I'm like, really? You? you know, it's like, Wow. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like my daughter loves them. So it's kind of like, it is a cozy. Yeah. It is, you know, you sit down and. And you know, it's going to be end happily. And, it's going to you know, end happily. You know, they'll get married or together. I remember what were some of the rules? It's like they could never be divorced. You couldn't have even, you know, they, it just had to occur in this bubble where nothing bad ever happened to people. Right. You know, and they, everyone always like, they could good. be widowed. <laughs> they could be widowed, but not divorced. I remember that. Right. Um, and, and everyone's always drinking coffee. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> there's them white night stands. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> in in oh. a way, they're kind of like, uh, it's kind of like writing a romance for, for teens or kids. Cause it's, they're very clean. Yep. So you know, it, it actually like felt very natural to go from YA to Hallmark oh. um, because of that. And, and then you went to the birthday girl. <laughs> yes. And then I went to the darkest, meanest. <laughs> and I wrote the, so the first page of the birthday girl, I wrote about, when did I write this? Maybe four years ago. Cause I have been thinking about this book for a long time. And I think four years ago I thought, okay, maybe I'll start trying to write this and sell it. And I wrote the first chapter and I always knew kind of what the first line would be because the inspiration for the book did come from us buying our Palm Springs house and me joking that I bought it to throw my 40th birthday party in. And, you know, I told that to everybody, you know, it's like, Oh, I bought it for my 40th birthday. I'm having this huge party, blah, blah, blah. And I never had the party. And, and and the delusion of this party, because I bought it at 38. So, you know, I had, I had two years to prepare for this party in my head. And I told my New York friends, I was like, you guys have to fly out. You know, we're going to this huge party. My LA friends, you know, my friends from London, it's going to be crazy. I'm going to wear this white land band dress. You know, I, I imagined this like five page spread in Vogue. I was like, somehow we're going to get make that happen. I was a journalist. I was like, oh, they cover those things. You know, I'm going to have one of those. And I kind of got grossed out by that feeling. I was like, ooh, why did I want to do that? Why was I so show-offy and braggy? And, well, and it all came with that kind of 
craziness of turning 40. And I was talking to some friends who were younger, they were in their mid thirties and they, they were young enough to that 30 was a big deal. So they couldn't even imagine what 40 would be like. And then I was talking to a couple of friends who were on the other side of 40, you know, and we're all now closer to 50. And they're like, yeah, it was terrible. You know, you, and I remember feeling like, am I not going to be attractive anymore? Am I not beautiful? Oh my God, I'm going to be 40. You know, you, so you have this kind of feeling of loss of that youth. And then also this feeling that I'm an adult and I want to show off to the world, you know, especially all the people who were mean to me in high school, how well I did. <laughs> and there was those two feelings that I wanted to put in. So the first page, like those, these first lines were, I mean, they were just the easiest things to write because I'd been kind of examining that feeling of turning 40 and kind of being in this delusional phase. <laughs> and I never had the party because I thought that that was so, I actually got kind of grossed out by myself and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, uh, it, it was okay. I might have, a, I always, again, I'm like telling everybody it's two years to my 50th. I'm like, we're going to have it in a castle. Oh my God. We're going to go to the castle. And everybody's getting all excited. And Mike is like, you're not doing it. You always say that you're going to do this crazy thing and you never do it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe we'll do it. I <laughs> it is you do you do see your friends do it sometimes and it, it's it's like you just you nailed you nailed that that part of like mm-hmm. of that like everyone makes such a big deal over 40 and and I think 50 people are like oh whatever yeah <laughs> it is it's funny it's a, it's a funny transition and if you do the castle there is a castle in Italy that a bunch of people I've heard have done it there and it sounds amazing. Just as a side note. Yes. Wait, is it like an Airbnb in a castle? Yeah, you, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like an Airbnb and you can rent out the castle and everyone gets their own little parts of the castle. And then oh there's like gosh, a butler funny. and staff and they can throw the party. I've been looking at a lot of castles. Like, what are the services? <laughs> yeah. and, and just as a side note, I spent my 40th birthday at a casino watching Jack Wagner rip off his shirt and say he was hot. No. Oh my God. That's uh-huh. awesome. It was, it was a free, a free, we had a free room. Oh my God. <laughs> I had a free concert. It was awful. Yeah, it's, uh, Jack Wagner, who is now a Hallmark star, and I've met him several yes. times at Hallmark parties. Sure he's very nice. Yeah. He's so nice, but it's so weird because I used to watch General Hospital when I was a teenager, and I was like, right, oh my exactly. God, Jack Wagner. And now he's like, Oh my God, this guy who just says hi to me at a party. It's like, I don't like, I can't say anything. And I tell my, I mean, he is really still handsome, but very cosmetically. Um. So, so when you talked about how this unfolded, your first line, because we talk a lot about first lines on the Manuscript Academy podcast and we do, and we do live events where we kind of dive into these. I feel like you totally nailed this first line. So I'll just read it once again. Ellie de Florence Stinson had made a point of telling everyone she knew that she bought the house in Palm Springs for her birthday as a gift to herself. There's just so much weight weight to that about who she is and who she, how she sees herself. Did you like spend time with this or did this just roll off and you just went with it? It was just really easy because it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, and, and read some, you know, and even the good reviews, you know, kind of mentioned that she's like an unlikable character. And I'm like, really? She, she's me. I bet she's me in this kind of grotesque, fun mirror way. And uh, 
And I did try. I was telling, um, I did a book launch last night and I, and, uh, I was explaining that I did try to kind of, I gave her my worst impulses, but I did try to give her, you know, some of my best impulses also, but, and it worked. Some people really liked her and thought, you know, she was unlikable in a likable way, (laughs) but some people really just hated her, which uh, I find so amusing. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that I think is so interesting is that Julie and I both had very strong reactions to her. And one thing that I didn't realize until Julie pointed it out actually, is that this is in third person. And I didn't even notice because it's so close to the voice of the character. And I was wondering... that's so interesting. Wow. Yeah, which is cool, right? Like, I'm especially impressed by third person when I don't notice that it's third person. I don't know. I have a strong preference for first most of the time. But this is really cool. How did you pick third person over first person? I tend to write in close third. That, That, again, kind of comes from my training or background in young adult. I started writing my books in third person, close third. So, you know, it's from a character's point of view, but it's in third person. And I'm just really comfortable with that point of view because it feels like you're in their head, but you also have like a little distance as an, as the narrator. And so it just comes very natural to me. And I actually don't like writing in first person. I find it makes constricts my the way I tell a story. So I feel much more comfortable writing in third, kind of this close third person, but kind of this detached, ironic voice. And I think Ellie really worked well for me in that way. It's it's very close to my voice. And I did try, and the, the book also came from a couple of people who'd read my books, but said, you know, you're really funny and you're very kind of cutting but, you know, that's never in your books. Like, I tend to write uh, fantasy, you know, where there's very heroic stories or, you know, uh, just kind of these uh, reimagined fairy tales. And then they said it would be so fun to read about a character that's closer to you or to your voice. Because I used to blog years ago before I had a kid and I had time. And they said, you know, it'd be great to have a book that was kind of like this blog. And I, and I thought about that too. So that's where it kind of came from, you know, and she is a lot closer to my age than any of my other characters. And while a lot of my life goes into my books in different ways, like I write about my family and which is a beast end, although you could never see it, you know, that's very inspired by things in my real life. I've never really written a character where, where, you know, I felt very close and there was so much of my life, my husband and I fights <laughs> in our marriage. I mean, it was so easy to write. We've had this fight. He's always yelling at the caterer before a party. <laughs> 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 what did the caterer do? <laughs> I mean, it's really just tense and it is tense. And, and it's just this, like in the book, I say, we do this all the time. Why do you do this? And, you know, and when you open the door and you're like, oh, it's all great. But I'm like totally tense and he's totally fine. So, you know, I lived through a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the things in the book. Um, well, there, there was uh, some real so. stress in there too. I love that she had a backup DJ and ended up needing it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that came from a party that we threw for our eight-year-olds where my oh. friend Jill actually did book two DJs. And I said, why did you book two DJs? And she was just like, I, I know we had a DJ, but then I met this other DJ at this other party. I thought he was so great. And, you know, it was my anxiety that we had 50 kids coming over and, and they actually both set up in the same dance floor and kind of had this like competition. And then we had to move the other <laughs> DJ because it was too weird. 
Oh no, <laughs> dueling yeah. DJs. <laughs> the karaoke DJ had to move. <laughs> so you've accomplished all these amazing things. What was the beginning of your career like? How did you find your agent or your agents? And what was the process like for you? And what's changed in that time? Yeah, yeah, I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write books. And I didn't know how people go about that. You know, it's not like there's some thing where it's guaranteed, like even if you go to your MFA. And and I did apply to get my MFA, but I always wanted to be a commercial fiction writer. And and that didn't seem like something that came kind of came out of MFAs. Like that seemed to produce, you know, literary writers. And I love literary books. And that's, you know, is a lot of what I read because I don't write it because I have to read in a genre that I don't write. So I, I absolutely enjoy them. I love them. But I really wanted to write books that were kind of, I think Amy Tan is kind of on the literary, I, I loved Amy Tan, but I'm trying to think of uh, Terry McMillan. You know, I wanted to write books like Terry McMillan that were really fun, uh, very contemporary and about women's lives and, you know, as Stephen King, you know, that kind of stuff. So I graduated from school and I got a day job and then I bought this book called The Writer's Market. And it was basically a guidebook on how to become a commercial fiction writing. And, you know, it listed all the publishers and all the agents that represent in what kind of genre they represented. And it had directions. And I thought, okay, I don't know anybody, but I can follow directions. And it said to send the first chapter of your book with um, a cover letter to an agent who represented the genre you wanted to write in. And so I did that. I think I sent the first chapter to about 20 or 25 agents. And of the 25, I think six of them said, I'd like, you know, they'd like to read the entire book. And I said, Oh, my God, I now I have to write it. Wow, good job. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always a hedger <laughs> of my bets. And so I, I think I wrote, I did, I, I think I did write the entire book. And, uh, and I sent it to the six agents who were interested in it. And of the six, I think four of them said they wanted to represent me. And this, yeah, and I think I was 22. Wow. So I had just, you know, graduated from school. Oh my gosh. Um, I was in my job. I was, you know, kind of writing my book on the side. But all these things would happen that would kind of incur, that were very encouraging. You'd get these, I don't know if this still happens, if everything's still on, is on email now, but you would get, you know, these letters from agents or postcards. If they didn't want it, they would have a postcard that just said, the name of your book and your name and, you know, not for us, but if they wanted it, you got these kind of formal kind of amazing letter. And so I sent it to the four agents and one of them, and I sent it to the one who was, and I picked the one who was the most, I guess, seasoned. And uh, he was also a theater agent, but he had all, he had sold Auntie Mame and he was still working. He is kind of like almost, almost retired, but he really liked my voice. And if he was still alive, I think he would like the birthday girl. And so Ray said, you know, I really like it. You know, I'd like to send it out. And he sent it out to an editor named Jeff Klosky, uh, who's now the head of Riverhead. And back then he was a young editor at Simon Schuster. And Jeff read the book and wanted to take me to lunch. And I thought, oh my God, I, this is it. I'm going to go to lunch you know, buy my book and we go to lunch. And the first thing he says is, I'm not buying your book. And I remember thinking, what is this, a date? <laughs> you know, why are we at lunch? <laughs> but he, and back then, I think it was the same year he discovered David Sedaris. 
and late, and then maybe a couple of years later, he would publish, he was to discover Dave Eggers. And he said, you know, I really like to encourage writers and I think you have a voice. I don't think this is a novel, but you have a voice. And, you know, if there's a way that you can learn how to write a novel with that voice, you know, then you would be golden. So he sent me editorial notes on the book, which when I look back on it was just an episodic, you know, nothing really happens in the book. And it's, and that was the first lesson I learned, like something has to happen. Things have to change. Your characters have to change. It has to be a story with a beginning, middle and end. It can't just be kind of this flat narrative um, where you make some clever jokes and some clever references, but nothing changes for these characters and nothing happens. So it was kind of the first person kind of like kind of explained, you know, the structure of novels or even why they're called novels to me. And I'd been reading them all my life, but you know, you don't really know what that is until somebody says, this is what it is. So I said, oh, and he also said, why don't you write for magazines or newspapers so that you can have a clip file? Because nobody's going to buy a novel from somebody who's never even written an article, you know, who's never even done any professional writing. And I thought, oh, okay. And he introduced me to a couple of editors for magazines, and I basically got my first clips um, through Jeff. And then I also started writing for the New York Press, which back then was a paper that published a lot of first-person journalism so you could really have this voice and be published in the paper you didn't kind of have to do this kind of boring reporting so that was really fun and I wrote another not and then I thought okay maybe I'll I will try to get an MFA if this isn't this novel thing isn't really working because at that at that point actually went through a couple of agents I think it was maybe my third or fourth agent who actually sold what would end up to be my first novel and my first novel was actually my third novel because I'd written two novels that were rejected, which meant it went out to publishers. Nobody bought it. And I was starting to feel really discouraged and bitter. (laughs) I was 27 by then, and I was still a computer programmer because that was my day job. And I would go to bookstores and just feel this, you know, massive bitterness that there were all these books, but mine would not be on the shelves. And, you know, and who knew if this would ever happen for me? And I did apply to an MFA program and Jeff wrote me a recommendation, but then I didn't get in anywhere. (laughs) And Jeff said I broke his streak. He was like, I get get everybody into MFA programs. And I was like, not me. (laughs) So so I just felt like, you know, why was I continuing? Because people said, you know, how have you handled rejection and keep on trying? And I remember thinking when I got these rejection letters from Columbia, NYU, the new school, I think I in USC, I think I applied to four programs. I remember thinking, they're wrong. You know, I am gonna be a writer, I'm gonna show them. And maybe I'm not the kind of writer they wanna in their program, but I'm gonna be a writer. And my novel that Simon Schuster bid on and won was called Cat's Meow, and it was a funny satirical uh, story about a woman who keeps, I'm kind of obsessed with birthdays. She keeps, uh, she's turning 25 for the fifth time. (laughs) So it's, it's, I was kind of thinking about that. I was like, oh, my first novel was about a woman who can't deal with her 30th birthday. And then now my fifth adult novel is about a woman who can't deal with her 40th. So (laughs) that's such a great story. And something you said there, you know, we talk a lot at the Manuscript Academy about how success might just be around the corner. And, and like, you really nailed that, you know, it's like, you just never know. And you never know 
what path you're going to go into once you, you know, where your muse goes and, and where your opportunities come from. It's just amazing. And I love the story of you going to lunch, mm-hmm. like, woo! Yeah. and then like, 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 what were you eating? I could just see like the soppy, sad salad. Yeah, yeah it was uh... a... <laughs> think it might have been Shopsons, but I'm not sure because we became friends and we would have lunch. Oh and uh, and I know uh, several times we would go to Shopsons, but I don't know if we went there the first time, uh, which was this little kind of quirky uh, cafe in the West Village. It's just great. Yeah, soup. I think I yeah, had soup. soup. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a sad soup. <laughs> so if you had Google level funding, what would you do with it? Well, there's a little pivot here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I think I, w- I would be a publisher. You know, I think I love I love books. And, uh, you know, I feel like I read uh, through across a lot of genres. And I would like and I like working with writers uh, I, because I do a book festival where we work with writers. And I've also done anthologies where we pick writers to write essays for us or stories. So I like uh, working with authors, with writers. And I, and I think if I had Google-level funding, I would, be, I would be a publisher. So if you had one piece of advice for writers, what would it be? I mean, I really think it's never give up because there's so much rejection and there's so much, you know, close but no cigar. You know, you'll write something, but then they'll say, we really like it, but we already have something like it. Try again. If you have a new idea, you hear that a lot, not just with books, but with TV and film where they like something that you do, but the thing that you're proposing doesn't quite fit what they want to do. So you just have to try again. And I think it's it's discouraging to be close and not get there or just, you know, be rejected outright. But I do think that the world, and I still believe that, really likes new voices and really loves another point of view. And, you know, when we see it, when we hear it, it's just so interesting and it keeps our culture alive. So I would always tell people, you just never give up. If you want it, it'll happen. And, you know, while I wanted to be a writer since I was little, my husband, who's also a writer, didn't come into it until he was until he had his whole other career. He was an architect at his own firm and kind of realized, oh, this is not actually what I want to do. And I said, well, why don't you try writing? Because, you know, he helps me with the books. We plot together. That's the other thing is that my husband has been a big part of my career and we had written some books together and kind of stopped. (laughs) We were like, Oh, that doesn't work. (laughs) What works is us helping each other on our own books. (laughs) It's not good when the two of us are bosses because we don't get along, but if it's my book and you help me, it works. Um, And it's your book and I help you. It works too. And he sold his first book after I think he was 40 and now he sold three books and uh, he has his new middle grade book coming out. But yeah, you know, it took him uh, a long time. There's never, you don't have to be young to be a first time writer. You know, I think I read some uh, on Publishers Weekly, there was a debut author who's, you know, 80. And like, that's great. (laughs) There's never a bad time. (laughs) So tell us your superpower. Mm, I think because I can write a lot, I am focused, but also fast. And I think in young adult with trends going so quickly and, you know, trying to catch, you know, the zeitgeist, it really helps to be a fast writer. So I think I found a career that really where I could do well with my skills. You know, I don't know if being fast is 
is something that, you know, maybe, I don't know, literaries care about. But I know in YA, you want to get the book out and you want to catch, you know, what teens are into, what the kids are into. And so if you're fast and you can do something good in a short period of time, that's kind of, that speaks well for you. And I remember there were a bunch of um, articles when YA was really at its height during the twilight years and maybe even just a little after the twilight years when it kind of was seen as young adult was kind of this gold brush and there were writers who maybe didn't really write for kids or teens, you know, suddenly wanted to write for them. And there was one article about how the pace was brutal and, you know, the deadlines, you know, who would do these deadlines? Who could make these deadlines? And I remember reading and I'm like, well, then you're not a YA writer. You've got to make those deadlines. You know, that's kind of the crux of the business is turning something around pretty quickly so that the kids are still interested in that. You know, if you're writing a dystopia, but, you know, the world has moved on to vampires or contemporary romance, you know, you're going to be behind the curve. So what comes next for you and where can we find you online? Oh, yay. I am trying to think what is after birthday, girl. The next book that is being published is called The Queen's Assassin, which is a young adult fantasy romance. And it actually came to me in a dream. I had a dream about this couple and I knew that he was an assassin of some sort. And I kind of laugh at myself because I used to do a lot of panels with Stephanie Meyer. And, you know, people would ask her, how did you uh, come up with Twilight? And she said, it came to me in a dream. And I remember saying, oh, please. <laughs> and it happened to me. So sorry, Stephanie. <laughs> I guess it does happen. So I wanted to write, you know, kind of the sexy, romantic story of, but set it in kind of this kind of fantasy world with queens and kings and, you know, kind of a little bit of uh, magic and, uh I, I had to build an entire world around that dream. So, And I always, when I write fantasy, I tell my husband, please remind me that it's so hard to write fantasy. I do not want to write it. And he said, you say that all the time. And you've written all these fantasy books. So so that's coming out in, in February. And then I have a my first graphic novel that I've written, because I've had graphic novels that were ad- adapted from my books. But this is the first graphic novel I actually wrote called Gotham High. And it is the story of Batman, Joker, and Catwoman in high school. Oh, fun. Oh, it's fun. It's Gossip Girl meets Batman. Oh, <laughs> so my gosh. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. And where can we find you online? And I am online at melissadelacruz.com. Oh, wait, melissa-delacruz.com because somebody bought the domain name and kept, keeps trying to sell it to me. I'm like, oh. you know what? I'm happy with my dash. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. I know it's super early there and we really appreciate it. Oh my God. This is so fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.